Well, I hope your Christmas is, was as good as ours was. Um, I'm really, uh, we, we had a great time of celebrating and uh, a crowded house, and I haven't quite figured out how to live back with everybody home again uh, completely. But uh, I'd like to go straight to the Word of God this morning. We'll go to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1. I got to select, it's one of those kids. Wave at me, okay? See that young lady back there waving at you? Children may go out afterwards. This is really terrible. Children may go after. I, I, I debated whether to do a children's sermon or not and opted out, but uh, I apologize. Thank you. Alex is over here talking, kind of talking to me, and I'm thinking it must be my tie that I don't have on or something that's wrong. Inevitably, when I stand here, I make the first mistake that it was ever made here for that day. Uh, that's my job. Mark chapter 1. I apologize. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And we're just going to just read verse 1 for a moment. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? why? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just as Mark begins his gospel with a normal but not so normal man, you are the beginning of the gospel in the lives of the people within your circle of influence, at your home, at work, at school, in your neighborhood. You are the one called by God to prepare the way for Jesus, the Son of God, to enter their lives. So when we talk about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it interesting the way God begins this, the way Mark begins this book? He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, and he immediately goes not to Jesus, but to John. I'd like to read that part to you. As it is written in Isaiah, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You see, John, the preparer of the way, knew how to smooth roads. He knew how to smooth the roads. Uh, verse 2 is from Malachi. Notice he goes, he goes in there, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So you already have a problem, don't you? You look at that and say, you just said Malachi, Tim. <laughs> Behold, I, sent, I send my messenger before your face who would prepare your way. That actually comes from the book of Malachi does not come from Isaiah. And you're going, oh, the Bible has an error in it. How many of you thought that, that moment I said that? No, you think Tim has an error in him. But you see, what, what is happening here is, is verse 2 comes from Malachi, and Malachi, uh, and verse 3, excuse me, comes from Isaiah. Malachi focused on the judgment of the Lord as he enters the earthly scene. Mark, in keeping with Isaiah, focused on the salvation brought by the Lord, as well as his servanthood. 
Both are true and valid. Mark doesn't spend much time talking about the, the judgment. Now, some of the other Gospels do talk about the judgment of God. But in this case, Mark is more focused on, really, if you want to say it, the grace, that is, on salvation and the way the Lord comes as a servant, as a servant Messiah. So, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. A key to understanding these verses is to understand the historical context. I want to encourage you to kind of think about this with me for a minute. Prior to an emperor's arrival, he would send his um, commander, his military commander, ahead of him. And that commander would have a responsibility. The responsibility was to make sure that the way was smooth before him. So, they, you know, the roads weren't quite as good as they are today in upstate New York. They were not actually paved in the, in the manner that we have. Okay, you, you chuckled when I said that. But I mean that. They had, their roads were made out of just kind of the dirt and the clay and the things that were around, and, and they would get into disrepair over time. Of course, that never happens in upstate New York. And, and, they, and they, they would get into disrepair, and so if a, an emperor was coming, he expected a smooth ride. And so the, the commander would go ahead and he would prepare a road before him. And they would go and make sure that if, there was, if the road was out in some places, they'd fill that in. If there needed to be a bridge, they would put a bridge. If there were stones that had gotten and fallen in place, or if there were kind of extra wagon wheels hanging around, laying on the road, they would clear those out. They would also clear away any riffraff. If there's anybody in the way that might cause a problem or a disturbance for the emperor, they would get rid of that. This is the kind of statement here that, that, um, that Malachi had said, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. So the prophecy was that he was going to send a messenger ahead to clear the roads so that, um, so that, that the Messiah could come, the king, the ruler. Now that hasn't really changed. Not long ago I was in... Um, I had this, this misfortune of planning my schedule. I, I, I travel a lot in my job, mainly in New York. And so as I was traveling, I had this particular day, I'd set it up very carefully, and I had to travel down to, um, to the Binghamton area. I actually think I went through uh, Ithaca to get to Binghamton, so it just shows you how ridiculous I am. But I, had, I went down there, had to travel down to Binghamton area. Then I had to come back up 81 and go through Syracuse and go from Syracuse on up to um, through Watertown into the St. Lawrence uh, Riverway area, meet with some people there and, and check a few things out. And then I had to travel back to Syracuse late that night um, in order to get home in time, if I recall, for our missional community. But um, uh, so that was an interesting day. But on that particular day, and you guys know, anybody travel 81 going south? I mean, like, you can just count on three, four, five state troopers along the way, right? But this particular day, there was not a U-turn, you know, one, a, no, I mean, sorry, a no U-turn, a non-U-turn, do not, thou shalt not U-turn here. There was not one of those places along the way that there was not one of those that's a lot of negatives, okay? It was not one of those, um, the, the, the one, two, three, or even four state troopers at that particular turnaround, non-turnaround. 
Okay? I never use them for turning around, okay? Because they have signs that say that don't, right? Okay? And, and I obey all laws except for the speeding one, which I got a ticket that, not one that day. Um, <clears throat> now, by the time I came, and I came back, I did all that, came back through, going north of Syracuse, the same thing was true. And by that time, I'm sitting there thinking, what's going on? Why are all these, this can't be normal life. What, what am I missing? And then it dawned on me, Joe Biden. Joe Biden was speaking at Syracuse University. And so in our day and time, the commander, the, the, the commanders, the military and the, the state police were sent ahead to prepare the way so that it would be, I don't know, safe. They certainly didn't smooth the roads, but safe for Joe Biden to come and speak at Syracuse University. Now, I have no idea how that went. I didn't really read about it or listen to it. Really wasn't concerned about it that, that day. But, um, but he came. Now, that, that happened at that time. And it also, if you recall, um, you know, the, uh, when President Obama came to Syracuse. Were you, guys, you guys remember when he came not that long ago? President Obama came to Syracuse, and, and when he came, then you couldn't go anywhere. You remember? I was like, no, you can't take 690. No, you can't take 481. No, if you're on 90 at the wrong place at the wrong time, you can't go this way. I mean, they blocked off everything so that he, he would not even have to slow down going to his de destination. This is what was happening. Behold, I send before you someone to prepare the way. John was sent before Jesus to prepare the way. Why? And how did he do that? Did he smooth the road? Well, God, remember this is God, God does not need someone to smooth roads. Because the way that was needed to be prepared was not a physical way. So the one, John, the one we call Baptist. How many of you are Baptists? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if I'm a Baptist or not. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. John, the one we call Baptist. See, Baptist, I mean, Baptist even predated Christ. I mean, it's a good thing to be a Baptist, right? I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but he was one clearing the way but, but to, to get, get the way here. I like to, in fact, <laughs> it's so cool because God doesn't need a police force at 100 miles in any direction, does he? He doesn't need any of that. But he did want a preparer. John, the one we, we, that I would prefer to call the preparer, served a slightly different role in clearing the way for the Lord's arrival. As he cried out in the wilderness, the masses somehow heard. Now, you've got to picture this. He's out there in, the, in uh, some 20, 30, 40 miles away from Jerusalem, out there in the wilderness, pretty rugged territory, going toward Jordan River or somewhere near the Jordan River because he has to be baptizing there eventually. And, and so he's out there, and he's crying out in the wilderness, and the masses heard. Some people say as many as 300,000 people took a hike out into that wilderness in order to hear what John said, many of them becoming baptized at that location. John is preparing the way. Um, 
But we should really ask regarding these 300,000 or so people, for some of your, your translations actually say, right, you know, the whole, all, all Jerusalem, all the Jews were going out to see him. Well, you know, that, that's, that's giving a picture of the masses of people. But many of these were, they were, were baptized. But one thing we should ask, we should ask, why? Why? Why were they baptized? Why did they go out there? What were they going to see? It was not normal, by the way, for Jews to even consider baptism. Baptism was something the Gentiles did when they became Jews or when they converted to something else. The Jews needed no conversion. They were Jews. They were followers of Yahweh. They were followers of God. And so they, you must ask, why are they being baptized? Well, John, the preacher of repentance, knew how to roughen up the roads. See, he not only smoothed the roads, but really, you know, what Jesus, what, what the Messiah really needed was for someone to prepare the way in a different way. They needed to rough it up. They needed to cause some damage somewhere. Um, one, write, one writer indicated, look, look at verse 4, well, first look at verses 4 and 5 um, and 6. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming the, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John... Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Mmm. A great diet. Yeah, one, one writer indicated by, by coming to the wilderness to be baptized, the people were admitting their wandering from God and their rebellion toward God and their desire for a fresh start. I think there's some truth to this. Why else would people who already were supposedly God's people get baptized? Somehow people heard what John was saying, even though he spoke in a desolate place. More than 300 years had passed since a prophet had spoken to Israel. 300 years of silence from God, and they heard something in the wilderness. So much that they had to go. Now someone here, someone shows up wearing the clothes of a prophet, eating the diet of a prophet. Isn't it funny, when you go to the Old Testament, do any of you cringe when you see the things the prophets had to do? For, in those days, my, my wife brought up to me the other day, about. she said, now did he really, really go without clothes? Did he really have his, well... <clears throat> This side being sown? And I made some lame kind of explanation of how that must have been, okay? You know, I'm not even going to tell you my explanation. You've got to have a wife that raises the tough questions. If she, if, if, you know, if she doesn't, my kids will. And, uh, and believe me, they do. Be careful what you read. If you've got little ones, you know, be careful what you read out of the Bible. It's pretty, it's pretty rough sometimes. You think, you think that anything current modern writing has something. If you read that stuff and read it word for word and literally, you get kind of scared. Like, you know, kind of almost embarrassed. You turn red sometimes, you know. 
Um, I, I know there's a guy in our church who's, who, who really likes Song of Solomon. You know, don't read that publicly, you know. That's pretty, that's pretty rough stuff, you know. I mean, I, you know, you know. I was told to read that before we got, like, to my wife when we got married. You know, one of the pre-marriage counselors, Ben, you know, my son's getting ready to get married. Uh, I was told, read Song of Solomon to your wife on your wedding night, you know. And I, I, oh, cool, great idea. And I'm like, I can't read this to my wife on my wedding night. (laughs) You know, that was all free. I just want, I don't know where that came from. So, John, where were we at? Um. Now, someone shows up wearing the clothes of a prophet. This is a sackcloth. It's, it's, have you ever seen a feed bag, that kind of thing? It's that kind of sackcloth outfit. It's a, um, and he's, he's wearing this, this leather belt tied around his waist. He's eating this weird food, you know. I mean, that's probably just because that's what's available in the wilderness. Think about it, you know. You might get some honey, you might get some locusts, but you're not going to get much else out in the middle of that wilderness place, that, those craggy mountains and gullies and things like that but um, you see it but the whole point of this is it's a poor man's wardrobe it's a poor man's wardrobe there's nothing fancy about this it's a poor man's diet he eats whatever's there you know if you ever go down into the city of, of Syracuse and you meet somebody who is truly homeless and sometimes they're it's kind of hard to figure out who is and who isn't uh, who's making a good living at this or who's not but when you go and you find somebody who's truly poor, you see their diet. You find them dumpster diving, right? This is what, this is what John the Baptist is doing. He's dumpster diving, okay? He's eating a diet that you really wouldn't necessarily want. But it has to, it's, it's good sustenance. It's legit, okay? It's, it's kosher, if you will. It was allowed by the law, and he ate it. But Why? He's drawing, there's a tension that's coming. He lived an isolated life. John and Elijah did not enjoy the comforts of this world. They were preparing their generations for God's arrival. It wasn't time to focus on wearing the nicest clothes, having the most fancy suits. It was a time to call people to repentance. And he wanted them to sense what they were, they were doing. And, it, and God made it clear by this. In 300 years, they've not had a man like this. Have you ever noticed that when the highway department works on roads, by the way, you're thinking, Tim, you're jumping all over the place. Don't worry about it. If they first have to make them worse, you know, I mean, they go in, you're going to fix the road. I mean, even when they're just going to put a little coat over it, you know, they first go through with this grinding thing, right? And they put these, these, these ruts in the road. And then when they put those ruts in the road, my car won't drive right. Or when I'm running on it, my feet don't want to do the right thing. And so, you know, they, they get that, they make it worse. And I'm in, this is the thing that blows me away. The, the number of times after a complete repaving of the road, the road is awesome, it's smooth, and you're driving down there. This is so wonderful. And the next day, they're digging holes in it. You ever seen that? And they dig these holes, and they put a, they do something, and they put a patch over it. And I almost think it's because the highway department just cannot stand that it's that smooth. And they want you to know, hey, we're still here, and we're still... No, that's not... I'm assuming something was wrong underneath. That's what I have to assume, right? And so they dig it up, and they put a patch on it. You know, well, this is, this is um, um, you know, John is, is doing that. He's gone in, and the road looks like it's smooth. 
but he's begun to dig some holes in that road. And he says, you guys who call yourself Jews, you guys who call yourself followers of God have a problem. And you need to be aware of that, that underneath the religion of the Jews exists the, the mar makings of a horrible sinkhole. And if you don't realize it, if you don't recognize it, you're going to fall in. So I'm showing you where the sinkhole is about to take place by making some holes, and there are going to be bumps in your road. He knew that unless the people faced up to their sin, they would never be ready to face Christ, the Son of God. They couldn't see him. They couldn't see him for who he was. His job was to prepare the way. The first task of preparation was to get the people lost. I have been more frustrated by religious people than anybody else in the whole world. Religious people, I, I don't know how many times, and you could ask my wife how many times I said, why can't I just get them lost so they can get saved? You know what I'm saying? People think they are following all the right things because they're religious. Whether it's Christianity or whether it's Islam or whether it is Hinduism or whether it is Buddhism or one of the other several hundred different kinds of religions in the world, because they're religious, they think everything's okay, and I want to help them see, no, it's not. It's not be okay because you are in sin. And your sin is hiding and clouding your eyes. And you think because you're religious, you're okay. But religion does not save a single soul. Jesus Christ alone, faith in Him alone, saves the lost. And we need people to be lost before they can be saved. Jesus ran into that multiple times on the earth. But, but, but John preached a baptism of repentance. A, a baptism, by the way, is a symbol. It's not something that does something magical. But baptism is a symbol of what God is wanting us to do. Baptism is a symbol of repentance. Repentance is the, the precedent or the precedent. I don't know how you pronounce that word. That's, I wrote it as precedent. Precedent, and then I looked at it as really precedent. But anyway, it comes before. Awareness, repentance has to come first, and awareness of sin, you see, is foundational. We come to Christ under the foundation of, with our awareness of sin. If we're not aware of our sin, we cannot be saved. That's why I have real trouble with children. I want go slow with kids. They don't necessarily know that they're sinners. They don't understand sin so many times. Oh, yeah, they understand they disobeyed mommy and daddy. Okay? But they don't understand the, the, the radical nature of their sinfulness. Elsewhere, we see John's emphasis on preaching regarding sin. In, in, in Matthew, uh, verse, you don't have to go there, but in chapter 3, 7 through 8, John said to the religious leaders of the day, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, this is John's preaching there. He says, you brood of vipers. What a nice guy he is. But Mark doesn't talk about this so much, but, but John did. John did. 
In Luke, the crowd questions John about this statement, asking, then what shall we do? What shall we do? John's response was to call them to clean up their act. <laughs> this is, I mean, they weren't going to get, was John's preaching a works-based salvation? No, of course not. He wasn't saying, clean up your act and you'll be saved, but this is a place you need to go. You need to change the way you're living and the, because you're not living the way God wants. And John was basically preparing the way for the only hope that these people had. They could, couldn't completely clean up their own lives. However, they became quite aware of how far they had fallen short from God's holy intent. With desire and intent, making a 180-degree turn. They were going to run smack in to God's holy presence in Jesus Christ. Right? They ran into the holy Son of God. And not only were they, they prepared to run into Him, but they were, made, they were made ready for His expectation. That is, that they were to repent and follow Him. See, until John, John prepared the way. He got them into understanding how bad they were. And when they hit Jesus after that, they were ready. And Jesus had a responsive audience to begin with. He had responsive hearers. Um, when we have no awareness of our sin, we don't need a smooth road. A smooth road is, is telling us a lie. We need potholes revealed to us. John, as a forerunner, the preparer, revealed the potholes, the sinful rebellion of a self-centered lifestyle. Excuse me, the sinful rebellion of self-centered lifestyle and his hearers. I shouldn't have written it that way because I can't even pronounce it that way. We, we can be certain that the Holy Spirit is now active in the world, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The road is roughed up. It's already roughed up. It's, 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 it's ready for God's people to engage that world in conversation regarding life-changing hope. You see, what people are beginning, they, they're seeing, they're looking around us. You know, people are saying, how many of you heard people say, what is the world coming to? I mean, there's a shooting almost every day, it seems. Mass murders is the thing, you know, I, I got texts the moment that, that the shootings were happening in North Carolina. Like, you know, that one, it turns out to be just a, a you know, just, just an, a little argument between teenagers. I don't understand. Oh, we have a long, my wife says, how can you have a long-standing grudge if you're a teenager? You know, a long-standing feud? You know, you're not old enough to have a long-standing feud, but whatever. People are now prepared. They're looking. They're saying something's wrong with our world. You have an answer. You have an answer. You're like John the Baptist. You can prepare the way, too. You can say, hey, somebody's, somebody's coming again. We've learned about that all for the last several weeks. Somebody's coming again. You, you have the responsibility to prepare the way in their hearts. John, the pointer toward the holy, knew how to exercise humility on the road. Now, you may already have been thinking, let's first, let me look at verse 7 and 8. 7 and 8, he says, um, and, I, and, and he, speaking of John, preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. You may already have been thinking, by the way, but I don't want to be like those Westboro Baptists. Anybody want to be like those Westboro Baptists? Okay, anybody not want to be like? You know, okay, just, just so I can see if there's any life in the hands. Okay, there's some blood flowing there, just keeping you awake, that's all. Been a real fun week. Well, I don't either. <laughs> I don't want to go around condemning people. I don't want to be like those Westboro Baptists who condemn everyone. No, I don't. Compare that, though, to John's approach. He doesn't actually spend much time pointing out the sins of his hearers. He doesn't say, well, you sin doing this, and you sin doing this, and you sin doing this. These are your rotten ways. Instead, he, in fact, he, he, his hearers are more likely to express their own concerns and ask for guidance and direction. John, I've been doing this. What do I do? John, I've been doing this. What do I do? Right? What should I do? And he says, well, don't take so much from people. Give back to what you owe them. Things like that. Very nice way of wording it. Repentance. Turn around. John's focus, like the emperor's officer, was on the coming ruler. The condition of the road, in this case, the hearts of the people, is being addressed only as it relates to the impending arrival of the Holy One. John was so aware of the difference between him and Jesus that he described his relationship with Christ as unworthy of even untying his shoes, the task of a servant. I'm not worthy to even be a servant of Jesus. I'm lower than that. I think we run the risk of minimizing the statement here out of familiarity. I think we say, oh, yeah, I'm not even worthy of untie his shoes. How many of you really believe that? Don't show your hands, okay? How many of you really believe that? John could not imagine even doing the lowest task. The lowest task. I mean, that, those feet would be filthy from the roads, mud, muck, excrement, all kinds of stuff are on those feet. And John says, I'm not worthy of even touching those feet. I'm beneath that. But John was very adept at redirecting the eyes of his hearers toward the ruler. He was just a lowly servant at best. In humility, John discussed the difference between his water baptism for repentance and the coming Messiah's baptism of the Holy Spirit. One will demonstrate a recognition of sin and a reorientation toward God. The other will do a complete transformation of life from the inside out. See, we baptize with water here. And that's a symbol of our repentance and turning to Him. It's a symbol of our death, our burial, our putting under water because we're saying that's a burial. I've died to myself, but I have no power of resurrection in my hands. The Holy Spirit, when he baptizes, he slays the old sinful spirit, and he brings, and he rises up something that's new, that is from inside a transformed life. John had no power. He only had a message. The coming Son of God had and has 
all power, and His message is eternal. As we follow the example of John, we can demonstrate humility. We have a message in, the sense, in a sense greater than John's. John said He's coming. We have a message. He came, and He's in my life. John saw only partially as all the Old Testament prophets did. We see the act of God in Christ in retrospect. We can say, look what he did. We know it all. That is, we see the completed work of Christ on the cross. Our message is clearly a message of hope. Our hope is not in our good works, but in his provision. There is no room for pride. How many of you are proud? Yeah, I've got a couple of honest people here. We can learn from God, John to prepare the way for the gospel. Some people need to be aware of God's standard of perfection. Not, not, from, not, not a, from judgmental perfectionism, but from fellow failures. Now, failures. I'm a failure. You're a failure. We have an opportunity to say, man, I'm a failure. But Jesus, but Jesus, he makes a difference. He changed things. They need to see us as they saw John. He, he lived a separate life, but an amazingly attractive life. Can you imagine? Sackcloth, the, 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 the clothes he wore, what he's eating, and I call that an attractive life. But that is, he, he revealed the purposefulness of life devoted to God's plan. He had not one single need. And he had nothing that this world has to offer. You who know Christ have all you need for the coming year to prepare the way for Christ in the lives of the people around you. That is why we encourage you. We even push you a little bit to engage the people in your circles with this good news. You know, we, we always talk about my circle, my circle. And, you know, I know in our missional community, sometimes you're like, we have to hear about my circle again? You know, your circle. They're the people who are looking at you and saying, why is your life different? And you, don't, you can't say it's because I'm such a great guy or great gal. You can only say it's because he came and he transformed my life. Father, we come before you. and Lord, we ask that somehow you would write the words on our hearts that we would be like John the Baptist and Harold, prepare the way, make the way ready for people to know you, people to see that their way can be made complete only in you. And I just pray that, that as, as we rough up the road in people's lives that they too will be able to know you and follow you in a, on the smooth path that's narrow but worthy. We pray in Jesus' name.